Talk Description to Me with Christine Malik and J.J. Hunt. Hi, I'm Christine Malik. And I'm J.J. Hunt. This is Talk Description to Me, where the visuals of current events and the world around us get hashed out in description-rich conversations. On December 17th, we hosted our live Zoom event, A Year in Review, in which listeners were invited to ask questions about the events of 2020 and the world around us. The conversations were wide-ranging and fun. This is the first of two episodes featuring some excerpts from the event. I think we are going to start with uh, Kim in Ottawa. Uh, she ha- you had a few questions, Kim. Do you actually, Kim, I know you're right there. If you want to ask your questions yourself, uh, I know that you're, you're here for sure. So if you want to engage, feel free to ask away or I can read for you. Oh, I had a bunch of questions. Uh, holiday questions, which I have tons of other questions that aren't holiday questions, but some of the ones are, um, it started uh, about a month ago when I heard about the big tree in New York. Mm-hmm. can't remember the name where it is, but they got an, a little owl out of it or something. And then they were talking about, oh, the tree looks kind of Charlie Brown-ish. So I, I had two questions. One was about sort of the famous trees that are decorated and what they look like and where they are and what makes them so great, you know, that, that these yeah. famous trees. And also, what in the heck does the Charlie Brown tree look like? I have watched that special <laughs> um, and I've been blind since birth. So I, they'd always say, oh, that's a terrible tree. So I really would like to know those two things. And when I thought about the trees, I also made me think about what is this ball that drops in Times Square? Yes. So those are my kind of burning um holiday questions that I had. That's a great place to start, Kim. Thank you. Uh, So let's start with the Charlie Brown Christmas tree, and then we can talk about this year's Charlie Brown Christmas tree in New York City. And then we can talk a bit about the the ball drop as well. So the Charlie Brown Christmas tree is, I mean, it's, it's it's, it's become an expression in and of itself, right? It's a Charlie Brown Christmas tree. The original Charlie Brown tree is a very small, so it's not even as as tall as one of the kids in uh, in the Peanuts gang. It's a very small, single spindly trunk, and it's kind of bent and, you know, wavy. And it's got just a few very small branches coming off the sides, and there are just small tufts of needles at the ends of each branch, just one tuft of needles at the end of each branch, and it has one red ball that hangs on it near the top. And the ball is, <laughs> is heavy enough and the tree is weak enough that when that one ball hangs on it, the whole tree bends right over and kind of doubles over and just about hits the ground. Um, It's a very, very small. At the base of it, uh, there's two boards, crossed boards at the base. Uh, uh, that's the stand that it's on. And of course, Linus takes off his baby blue blanket and uses that. He wraps the, the baby blue blanket around the base of the tree. And in fact, this is such a famous tree that you can, 
you can actually buy a kit. You can buy a Charlie Brown Christmas tree kit and you get a fake tree uh, with the one red ball. And it, this comes with the cross pieces of wood for the base and the baby blue blanket as well. And this year's New York City uh, Rockefeller Center Christmas tree. Um, I mean, a lot of people said this was the perfect symbol of 2020. It is a 75 foot tall, 45 foot wide, 11 ton Norway spruce. It's supposed to be a beautiful tree. It's huge. It's so big that a construction crane actually lifts it from the top and workers in hard hats and like the neon traffic vests and of course COVID masks, they have to hold on to, to guide ropes as they move this tree into position. The thing is, when this thing went up and the branches started to fall down, it became abundantly clear that it is ugly. <laughs> the trunk is curved and bent and the branches that fell as it was settling revealed these massive gaps in one side of the tree. And I mean, normally with a tree like that, you can just you can turn it so that the you know the 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 ugly side, the gappy side, is at the back. But there kind of is no back of this Rockefeller Center tree. Um, but I, I have to say, once it got decorated, all of the branches have fallen, and they and, and it was wrapped in red and gold lights, uh, and and the big white star put on top. It looks much improved. It is a much more attractive tree, and the the star that's on top is actually a. Um, a geodesic uh, sphere. So imagine like a, a white soccer ball that's got 70 blade-like shafts bursting from the center in all directions. And the entire thing is encrusted with crystals, uh, something like 3 million crystals. And it weighs like 900 pounds. It's really, really big. And it glows with such intense illumination that um, that you can actually see the glow in the daylight. Uh, when uh, you can go online and go to the, I think it's Rockefeller Center, the, their website, rockefellercenter.com or something. And, uh, and, and there's a live webcam that's on this tree. It's kind of from above, the angles from above. So you can see down, you can see the whole tree. Uh, you can see the base of the uh, kind of art deco Rockefeller building behind it. And you can see there's a waterfall fountain a golden statue at the base of the tree that leads down to the ice rink which uh, apparently is open not a lot of people at it but uh but it is open so those are th like the the actual um charlie brown christmas tree and this year's new york city charlie brown christmas tree and then there's the ball drop so th this is in Times Square. So this tradition in Times Square, the ball drop started in, I think it's 1907. Um, and at that time, the ball was lowered down the flagpole that's atop one Times Square. And this building was, at the time, the tallest building in the area. So having this ball up on top, this glowing uh, lit ball, um, it kind of turned the building almost into a lighthouse uh, in New York. But now the ball is, it's, even, it's grown, it's bigger, it's more tech heavy. Um, um, and it is just more physically heavy. It's a big, big ball. It's again, a geodesic sphere. It's 12 feet in diameter and weighs about 1200 pounds. And it's covered in um, these uh, Waterford crystal triangles. And under those triangles are 
LED modules, and 672 of them. And these LED modules each contain red, blue, green, and white LED lights. And so when used together, you can manipulate them in such a way you can turn on certain colors and turn off certain colors so that you can create what the website claims to be 16 million distinct colors in billions of patterns. And the patterns can move and shift around the ball. So sometimes they put a static image on it. Sometimes the colors blend in a fluid way and they move all the way around in every direction. Sometimes it's very abstract patterns. Sometimes there are patterns that highlight these, these triangular modules and crystals, but sometimes it's, it's really representational. Like I've seen images, video images of, uh, of like an, a waving American flag all the way around this ball, or sometimes they turn it into some, uh, an image that looks almost like the surface of the moon. Um, I've seen them turn it into a disco ball. I've seen them turn it into this pulsing, it looks like a 1970s illuminated dance floor that kind of pulses as it drops. So they can do all kinds of effects with it. It's come a long way since the days when it was just light bulbs, bright white light bulbs. So that's the New Year's Eve ball drop. That's what that looks like. But how do they actually, they don't just like let it go and it goes thunk and hits the ground. Like, is it on wires and goes <laughs> no. down slowly or something? Floats That's down? It. Yeah, it goes. So uh, the original one was atop the flagpole and it slowly lowered down the flagpole and they've kind of kept that tradition. So the ball will slowly come down on a pole or post. I mean, it's now, it's so heavy that it's got to come down on a very sturdy post. Um, but yeah, it's not, it's not dropped. It's lowered slowly. Wouldn't that be awesome if someone hacked into it and put unconventional things on that ball? I had no idea that there were images on that. That's, that's so fascinating. I would love to watch the Kentucky Derby sometime and have the racetrack, the uh, grounds, the stands uh, described. Just describing the hats on that day that the ladies wear. Oh, that, yeah. that race is very famous for hats. Yeah, well, half of the images that have come up are of people wearing these fantastic <laughs> hats, huge brims with, you know, feathers and bows on top and images of the horses coming around. It's a dirt track, it looks like. Uh, and as they come around the track, close up images from sports photographers of, of, the, of dirt getting kicked up as the horses kind of collide and jostle with one another. They collide. And Goodness. They do. They bump right into each other. Like jockeys try and nose each other out of the way. And the jockeys wearing these bright colors, uh, like hot pinks and oranges and reds with matching helmets and, and matching numbers on the backs of their horses so that they're all clearly easily identifiable from the stands. And it looks like the stands at the Derby, the, uh, the Kentucky Derby are one, two, three, four, five, six tiers of stands just packed. So uh, lots of interesting visuals, which would make a great episode. We, we, we can definitely add that to, uh, to the full episode list for sure. This is Brian uh, with the Picture This podcast team. One of the things that you've done to me is now uh, out of the 28 podcasts I listened to during the course of a week, uh, the first one I look for is to see if you guys put it out something, because it may make it so that other things make more sense to me that I'm going to be hearing during the course of listening to all those other podcasts. And now you've got me connected to my nieces and nephews 
because of your episode on Minecraft. Awesome. That's wonderful, Brian. That is great. See, I'm not a gamer by nature, but uh, my wife is a librarian. So the library connection to Minecraft, (gasps) I have no clue about And so I spoke with my niece this evening, and she's going to give us a guided tour through the library. Did Uh, she know about it? Hopefully, she actually knew of it, but had never gone there. And while we had the conversation, she brought it up and says, oh, my God, I can't believe I missed this. (gasps) So now she's just excited to share it with us. I find when I travel, God, the good old days. But when I traveled over the years, I always go to the souvenir shop and buy a small replica of whatever major thing is there. Like, you know, the statue of David, the uh, Tower of London or whatever it might be, right? In order to get a feel for it. But I lack the language to describe architecture. Mm. Mm. What do the different columns look like when they say it's a... Uh, ionic or doric or, or, yeah, or gothic doric, those yeah. kinds of things exactly that would what so, those mean yeah, yeah that would make yeah. a we're, great episode yeah and as you say it because we can then apply it to so many exactly. buildings yeah out that's there. a great idea a great idea one of the the neat things when people send in uh description requests and so we get them uh by email or on twitter all the time which we love by the way so even apart from this special episode we love it when people let us know what they want to hear about so uh keep those cards and letters coming but um one of the parts i love about that is that sometimes someone asks a question and i think yeah what does that look like and i never really thought about it and um so we had an, an incognito request from someone who said, I know, of course, what a cloth mask looks like, but what does an N95 mask look like? And I, I read that and went, gee, I, I don't know that either. So uh, maybe, JJ, you could fill us in on that. Yeah, so, so the, there are lots of variations, but the most common N95 mask is is, is, is like a cup. It, like it's, it's almost shaped like a small bowl. It's got a small bump out for the bridge of the nose. So you can imagine that being cupped from chin up to the nose, most largely round, but there's a little bump out for the bridge of the nose. It's a little bit stiffer uh, than the standard uh, surgical mask so that they hold their shape. Um, uh, Often white or this like surgical, like there's there's a surgical gown color of teal blue <laughs> that, that a lot of the doctors and nurses wear in, in, in that color of teal blue. You can find the masks in that color. And they, and they tend to have uh, two sets of yellow elastics, one set that goes around the back of the head above the ears and one elastic that goes around the head below the ears. And then there's that thin metal bar. You'll find this on standard surgical masks as well that are uh, just on the bridge of the nose so you can pinch it snug. And the uh, N95 masks will often have um, printed text on the front. Um, That's got all the manufacturer's information and the warnings and whatnot. And some have this raised plastic valve that's either at the directly at the front or just on the side. It's often a small disc, but sometimes it looks more like a... Uh, like a little tiny air freshener, frankly. Um, And these are, um, uh, 
these are valves. They're supposed to be breathing valves. And, you know, the little plastic discs, the little, it's a little round plastic disc. It kind of reminds me, I don't know if you've ever had a pizza delivery come with that little, I think they call it a pizza saver right in the center of the pizza so that the box doesn't collapse and squish the toppings of the pizza. It looks a little bit like that, just a little round plastic disc with a couple of uh, stems so that it sticks out and away from the cloth. And that's what, um, that's what these valves look like. And there's some controversy about these because there's some question as to whether or not the mask filters the air that's coming in, but not the breath that's coming out. Of course, I, I can't speak to that, but uh, that's really, that's the N5, uh, pardon me, the N95 mask. That's more or less what the most common ones look like. AJ. Yes. Is, if someone is working in a home doing construction, that's what they use, is it not? Yeah, so this is, it's very similar. There are dust masks that are essentially the same, but they don't have the N95 uh, certification. So the, the, the basic structure is exactly the same, but they may or may not be, uh, uh, have the same level of filtering, uh, but the look is identical. Okay, good to know. Uh, is this Anne? We've got Anne yeah, as well. Yeah, it's Anne now. Wonderful. Well, um... So one of the things I would love to have descriptions of are some things in nature, some wonderful, spectacular nature things. Mm. So an iceberg. A second thing I would love to heard, you know, you hear stories about tsunamis. What the blazes does a tsunami look like? And the third thing I would love to know, and you, I'm sure you have pictures of this again, is volcanoes going off. Oh, yeah. Again, a spectacular natural event, quite horrifying, but quite amazing. And then finally, is something very, very different, but I just can't picture this. What the places does an oil rig look like <gasps> in the ocean? Very Ooh. interesting. Wow. wow. Okay, so lots of good stuff. Uh, uh, I'm going to do little snapshots of each one of those things just really quickly. So as you were talking, I was Googling and doing image searches on all these things. And yeah, icebergs, they can have that blue quality to them. Um, and some icebergs look like mountains and some yeah. look like shelves. Yeah. Um, there are different shapes. They're entirely different shapes. What I find most amazing, um, I've seen videos of icebergs flipping. Oh, and just yeah. so Woo. remarkable. So when when the weight gets imbalanced, when it, when there's a certain kind of melt on one side, an iceberg can flip. And so you get the small top that dips down and this bottom, as you say, like the 90 percent that comes up and rises and the, the wake that, that that happens because yeah. of this it's so huge the displacement is incredible and then it shifts and bobs and moves around until it resettles in its new configuration really fascinating with tsunamis i actually i happened to see a video uh, uh just social media video just the other day and it, this wasn't um this wasn't a major wave like you would expect, like a surfing wave. This wasn't a big, huge cresting wave that came crashing down onto a beach. This was a, a wave situation where the it almost just looked like the the coastline, the edge of the water just kept moving and wouldn't stop. And oh so it 
It just, it came up and, and further up the beach and further up the beach and further up the beach until it had completely covered all of the sand and then started moving toward the hotels and moving toward the cars in the parking lot. And it just kept coming. It was relentless, but there was never that crashing moment. There was never that breaking surf that you think of when you think of like the movie version of a tsunami and I'm sure that happens but in this particular video it didn't which was really interesting before I forget you mentioned volcanoes I have my as it happens my dad's birthday was May 18th which was the day that Mount St. Helens erupted oh and wow so as a little kid I loved this fact Oh, I somehow yeah. felt connected to this idea that Mount St. <laughs> Helens erupted on my dad's birthday. And he one time found me this little toy that had a single roll of film in it. And it was battery operated. And you press the button and look through the eye, the viewfinder, very small. And you press the button and a tiny flashlight would shine at the film. And the film would just roll in a loop. And it rolled through a very choppy film recording of Mount St. Helens erupting. Oh, and wow. I loved this toy. I, I would watch it over and over. And you could yeah. see the cloud, the dust cloud coming up. You could see it spilling over. It almost looked like it was boiling over. Like and a cauldron. Exactly like a cauldron. exactly right. And it was the moment when it burst up, but that bursting moment didn't it, it wasn't represented well in this little tiny film but the cauldron element of it the boiling over was and it was black and white so it really did look smoky and ashy oh my goodness I loved that thing loved it one thing I have to say about audio description is that it changes your expectations to a place where you expect much better and much more unfortunately from ordinary people who can't tell you very much you find yourself incredibly frustrated and then you have to give yourself a talking down to to say now look you can't expect this from this person because they're not audio describers i've been thinking about this in the context of who listens to our podcast and i feel like um a potential audience that isn't really listening yet that could be is family members or friends of people who are blind or low vision or parents of blind children in order to learn description skills. And there's, there's a few other interesting groups too, who, who listen, uh, who aren't blind and low vision, but I think that's a, um, it's not a bad thing to do to introduce uh, your friends or family or people who are, who take an interest in uh, the blind community or who, who are TVI to, who are teachers of the blind or visually impaired. Uh, there's so there's audio description now for them to learn from and I think that's a, a really uh, useful thing for people to be doing you know my husband loves he's not he's fully sighted and he likes the audio description a lot he's disappointed when we watch a movie and it doesn't have it because it really he's, it helps him keep track of what's going on and who's who and he it's really great because I don't have to worry that he's bugged by it or anything because he yeah. finds it um, helpful. My sighted sister and I had so much fun after you did the episode about hand gestures. Ah. <laughs> we're, we're standing in the living room and she's trying to correct my mistaken understanding <laughs> of how to do a jazz handshake. I still oh, would not I, attempt that. I still that. don't. I can't get that. And I, I was, oh, the, yeah. I was the one who asked about yeah, it. That was, it was, that was Kim's. Like Kim. yeah. Yeah, that's right. I, I no, cannot. It, it, I can't get it. <laughs> 
There yeah, are yeah. so many different ways to wait. We love making this podcast. If you love hearing it, perhaps you'll consider supporting its creation and development by becoming a patron. We've set up a Patreon page to help cover the costs of putting this show together. You can contribute as a listener or as a sponsor to help ensure that accessible and entertaining journalism continues to reach our community. Visit patreon.com slash talk description to me. That's P-A-T-R-E-O-N dot com slash talk description to me. Have feedback or suggestions of what you'd like to hear about? Here's how to get in touch with us. Our email address is talkdescriptiontome at gmail.com. Our Facebook page is called Talk Description to Me. Our website is talkdescriptiontome.com. And you can follow us on Twitter at talkdescription.com.